Now, for the information of all hands. Welcome to episode 10 of the 1MC with Master Chief Jason Vander Hayden. I'm your guest host, Senior Chief Will Kelly, and today we'll be joined by the 32nd Vice Commandant of the Coast Guard, Admiral Linda Fagan. Thanks, Senior Chief. I appreciate it. We are honored to have our Vice Commandant, Admiral Linda Fagan, here today. And I tell you, you couldn't find a more competent, just just great person to have on the podcast. Starting the new year, really excited to have Admiral Fagan with us. She has got, I mean, she has got some amazing credentials we could talk about. She's the ancient trident. She is the, the longest serving and senior Marine Inspector of the Coast Guard. She is also our component acquisition executive. That means she's kind of in charge of everything that we acquire in the Coast Guard. We're going to talk a little bit about acquisitions uh, with Admiral Fagan. And before that, she was a PAC area commander, so she got all that PAC area experience. And then she was a deputy commandant for operations for policy and capability, district one commander. And then before that, she served at NORTHCOM in a joint role where there, she was the deputy J3 at joint at, at NORTHCOM uh, and and just an amazing, and before that, sector commander for Sector New York. And she just, she served on every con continent, all seven continents. Just an amazing, uh, amazing breadth of experience for Admiral Fagan. And we are, Admiral, we are super excited to have you on the podcast today. Hey, thanks, Master Chief. It's really, uh, really a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to, uh, to the conversation. And uh, uh, really thank you for letting me be your 10th uh, guest on the uh, 1MC uh, podcast. So, uh, thanks for the great introduction. I don't know how I feel about the title, Ancient uh, <laughs> Trident. Uh, I know that's not the purpose of today's discussion, but uh, I don't feel ancient. I prefer seasoned. Seasoned uh, Trident. Although my millennial children often point out to me that I probably am more ancient than uh, than, than they are. And, uh, yeah, as you pointed out, my first flag assignment was uh, is one of the J3 deputies at, uh, at NORTHCOM. I... Uh, I went out there without any DOD experience and definitely get thrown into the deep end of the pool. I also swore that uh, you would not find me tracking Santa with NORAD. <laughs> However, I did both years I was out there. It was actually one of the more uh, fun uh, fun things that uh, that, that command does, but a great uh, great experience and opportunity. You know, that is a neat, neat opportunity to get on the, their website and w follow Santa. Super cool, and I know you stood watch uh, at, at NORAD. Uh, tracking Santa yeah, one time. Yeah, no, definitely. It was kind of, we actually, you get like a little celebrity bump when you track uh, <laughs> track Santa with NORAD. My kids had like great standing with their friends. They're like, you track Santa? That's it was, awesome. uh, it was a lot of fun. That's cool. Speaking of kids, uh, so you have uh, a lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Eileen Fagan, your daughter. She is in the Coast Guard doing amazing work at the Office of uh, the Officer Personal Management. And I have two kids in the Coast Guard, Tyler and Victoria. And I wanted to kind of dedicate this podcast to those uh, like our our kids who are hitting their stride in the organization and are curious about what's next. What are what can we look forward to for the next five to ten years in the Coast Guard? And we'll talk about everything from acquisitions to different mission sets to things maybe we're not even thinking about right now. Maybe some new initiatives, and uh, we'll we'll talk about probably the, one of the most important things we can talk about, which is the health and well-being of the workforce. So. Uh, you are our component acquisition uh, executive, which means you're in charge of all acquisitions. And, uh, you know, we are in the midst of our largest, you know, recapitalization of our fleet. And there's and, and not just uh, not just 
our surface fleet, but also our aviation fleet. We've got a lot going on. Can you talk a little bit about what we can look forward to in terms of our new assets that we're getting? Yeah, hey, great question, Master Chief. And, uh, yeah, you know, as far as uh, having kids in the Coast Guard, it um, – one, I like it's really cool to be a super proud parent. I know you are with yours. I am, uh, and with my uh, my daughter. Uh, one of the things that it does for me is it orients me. It's not lost to me every day as senior leaders and what happens here in the headquarters building. We're making decisions, resourcing decisions, policy decisions, program decisions that are building our kids' Coast Guards, quite literally, right? So when you make a major acquisition decision to build and field new polar security cutters, that's a 75-year commitment. In fact, it could be our kids' kids' Coast Guard that we're actually, uh, you know, working to uh, to resource and um, and build today. You know, I uh, did not have an acquisition background before coming in as a vice commandant. I have uh, I've done the uh, the training, which means I'm just smart enough to be be dangerous lean heavily on our acquisition uh, professionals here in the building and uh, the workforce should be uh, be confident we've got some just great great expertise that are helping us uh, field uh, field these new assets you know I mentioned the polar security cutter right we uh, just uh, over the holidays awarded uh, long lead time uh, material for polar security cutter 2 will be built uh, at the yard in uh, in halter I am super excited about that my um, so my first uh, tour as an ensign was on uh, the Polar Star. This is back in uh, in the mid-'80s. And if I'm honest, Polar Star was in the midst of a midlife crisis when I was on it as an ensign. And she is down at the ice edge. I think she arrived yesterday, 37 miles of fast ice that Polar Star will break out to uh, to get the resupply into, and into McMurdo. It's a Herculean task, and that ship and that crew get at it uh, each and every year. And... Uh, we can't uh, field those polar security cutters soon enough to help uh, that resupply mission into uh, into Antarctica. And then, frankly, for our own national sovereignty as it pertains to the United States being an Arctic nation and operating up off uh, the north slope of, uh, of Alaska. And so that, that particular acquisition is near and dear to my heart. I am really excited about uh, seeing that ship uh, start to come to, um, come to fruition and the uh, the team uh, and workforce should be really excited about the uh, opportunity to serve uh, serve in the high latitudes. That's awesome. So, and and it's not just like the icebreakers, like Polar Star is a, a wonderful ship, and but but the new Polar Security Cutters. If you're a gunner's mate, you might have an opportunity to serve on on a Polar Breaker. You, you know, there's a lot of lot of opportunities on the on the Polar Security Cutter for other ratings and and maybe other officer specialties that maybe you didn't have. Uh, just because the mission's yep. going to change slightly, I think we might have uh, maybe even some ISs, uh, perhaps, on the polar security cutter. So. Yeah, so that's a great point, right? The, um, we're not calling it an icebreaker, and that's intentional. <laughs> yeah. It's a polar security cutter that's going to be able to break ice and project uh, you know, so our sovereignty into the high latitudes. It's uh, you know, be flight deck-enabled ship and absolutely will uh, have a skiff with all of the National technical means to you know ensure that you've got kind of eyes and ears that you need for uh, for operating uh, in the high latitudes and and you know projecting uh, presence. We'll still have our search and rescue mission. There'll still be some science, but uh, this is a uh, kind of warship to the extent that you might call it that. It's comparable to the national security cutter, but sure. actually able to uh, 
break uh, break lots of ice. And oh, by the way, if you've never been on an icebreaker, it's actually really fun because you cool. actually get to hit stuff and not get <laughs> in trouble. <laughs> That's exciting. Well, then on top of that, we got uh, you know the the offshore patrol cutter and then the waterways commerce cutter. You know, being a a river tender person myself. Uh, I'm really excited about that, and I know that's going to provide some opportunities for, uh, you know, mixed-gender crews and give a lot more people an opportunity to serve on a river tender doing a, a critically important mission, which is setting buoys that we oftentimes don't really think about. But the Waterways Commerce Cutter is going to be exciting, too. I think we're getting 30 to replace 30 three or 35 something like that yeah so i actually i don't have a note here on what the actual program of record it's not a one for one it'll be a slightly uh smaller number on the waterway commerce cutters in spring of 2022 we will contract for the you know first uh, several waterway commerce cutters uh and they are uh, you know the sooner sooner we get them you know on the river and into the fleet uh, the better i uh had an opportunity to uh, uh, visit a couple of the, the units uh, on the uh, rivers. Was in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. As, nice. you know, Master Chief Jones, who's uh, the DCMS badge, has schooled me on Pine Bluff, which was his first uh, first tour uh, in the Coast Guard. And uh, you know, the teams out there are doing incredible work. Morale was high, but but boy, it's time to uh, to get some newer uh, newer assets out uh, into that critical. Uh, mission as far as uh, buoy tending uh, goes. I did get to uh, like hook, snag, I don't have the right nice. term of art, a buoy. Uh, they didn't let me hurt myself. <laughs> it, was <laughs> it was a lot of fun though and uh, you know it's really critical work and the fact that we're going to be able to have mixed gender crews and just yeah. uh, really provide that opportunity to, to serve and lead and succeed for, for anybody that's uh, that, that wants to go in that direction. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah and then I know Forgive me, but I peeked at your calendar a little bit. I know you're going to head out. It looks like going to Bell Helicopter to talk to them about potential future vertical lift. But in the meantime, we've got, you know, we're replacing our C-130Hs with C-130Js, which is an incredibly capable aircraft. you got the C-27s that we're getting missionized. And then talk, talk to me yeah. what you think the future of our rotary wing fleet looks like. All right. So uh, we'll start with rotary wing and then we'll come back to the uh, okay. to the HJ uh, transition. So we are committed and, and working with the department to move us to a single rotary wing fleet, getting out of the business of operating 65, 65s. They've been an incredible aircraft for us. They're aging. Uh, we've had gearbox challenges. We've worked through some of the parts challenges, but as a service, we are committed to accelerating uh, into uh, the the 60 fleet with tailfold, bladefold. It will really be the vertical lift that we we need for the foreseeable future. As um, uh, the armies and others work through what future vertical lift really uh, looks like, I'm excited about the 60s. They're incredible, uh, incredible aircraft, and. Um, We'll, uh, you know, we'll move to, to, to field those uh, sooner. You know, when I think about how we are deploying ships, right, and so a piece of those, those 60s help support, you know, shore-based search and rescue, but they also deploy on, on cutters, uh, you know, into, uh, into the East Pack, into the Arctic. And so as we get a more capable uh, helo on ships that are deploying into the high latitudes, into the Western Pacific, it'll just be that much more capability uh, for us as we uh, as we operate. Nice. And you said you wanted to s circle back yep, to, the to the uh, yeah. So fixed hey, wing. the uh, 
For those of you that have not, you know, seen the uh, the C-130Js, you know, from the exterior, you think, oh, they kind of look the same. They are not the same aircraft. We're going to have a record, a program record of 22 of the C-130Js. Uh, they uh, state-of-the-art avionics, all-glass cockpit. It's a 20% increase in speed and altitude, which is huge, and then a 40% increase in range. And so if you're, uh, say, at uh, Air Station Honolulu at Barber's Point, it uh, it just it's game changing for the long range search and rescue you find yourself doing in that part of the uh, Pacific. Uh, you know we've transitioned uh, both Kodiak and Elizabeth City, and we're working through Barber's Point. They took their first uh, C-130J in uh, in June of 21, and they're just really uh, capable aircrafts. And so, you know, as I talk about, I'm excited about all of the ships that we're bringing uh, bringing on from an acquisition standpoint. I'm equally excited about what we're doing in the uh, in the aviation community. There's uh, there is a lot to be excited about for the future of the Coast Guard. That's great. We need our aviators. That's awesome. So it, when we talk about all the different acquisitions that we're getting, those those acquisitions that enable us and kind of uh, provide an opportunity for us to maybe expand our, our mission sets. So, you know, the, the the commandant says, you know, the demand for Coast Guard services has never been higher, and I and I, and I agree. And it seems to kind of grow. Uh, each year when people find out how, how great our service is, they want more of the Coast Guard. What are some of the mission sets that are kind of that might be growing a little bit that we might do a little bit more of in the future uh, that we're not doing right now? Yeah, so that's a great, great question, Master Chief. Right? It is the era of the Coast Guard without, uh, without a doubt. We, uh, we are a world uh, leader in that domain, our, our key partners. Uh, look to us, uh, look to emulate us. We certainly uh, set uh, set the standard. Our racing stripe, you know, as a model of good governance and you know humanitarian service and partnership, that will not diminish in the uh, in the coming uh, coming years. You know, as the PAC area commander, we did some of those first deployments of the national security cutters uh, over into the the Western Pacific, where again, you know, modeling uh, good governance and uh, and partnership and engagement with a number of like-minded Coast Guards in the region, and uh, frankly, the demand signal there is loud and growing uh, louder. We uh, we really are a partner of choice for a number of those small island uh, nations. Uh, some of the incursions and activities by China, China Coast Guard, their military militia, you know, just erode good governance, erode the rule of law, and, um, you know, create kind of existential threats for some of these uh, small island nations. And we, uh, we offer a good, good counter to that. I'm pretty excited about it. So I think, you know, the, the Western Pacific and, and Indo-PACOM will be a pretty steady demand signal. Resourcing is always the challenge for us. Right? We run out of big ships before you you meet everybody's uh, demand signal. You know, the other area where we've uh, we've been investing from an international leadership role is in IUU fishing, and uh, you know I think you will see uh, that continue both with cutters that uh, you know we deployed say off the Galapagos to help counter the uh, Chinese squid fleet and and partner engagement from a leadership standpoint to helping uh, helping nations and regions. Uh, counter IUU fishing in their own uh, own regions. Uh, those are just two of you know a handful of other uh, other areas that, that we've oh, yeah. got going on. You know, you know, we, we in cyber. I know we've been, you know, working. I think Congress has kind of given us a little bit of help uh, in terms of building out our cyber capability. Do you? S how do you see our our role in cyber in the maritime for the? F I know it's not a hundred percent clear because you got the the CISA aspect of, of that. But is there any? Uh, 
anything we can you know do you see that kind of you know maintaining course and speed or do we think you think we might have a, a greater role in the in the cyber maritime yeah so CISA critical infrastructure security agency it's a component within uh, within DHS they really sort of have the focus on uh, cybersecurity as it pertains to critical infrastructure. And there are a number of, uh, you know, nodes uh, within that, the maritime transportation system being one, you know, pipelines, railroads. So specific to the maritime transportation system, we absolutely have a role. We have a leadership role. And we need to work with some urgency at, um, you know, ensuring that we are postured to exercise that uh, that leadership as it pertains to uh, to the industry. I know, um, you know, on the in the five P world of work, uh, Rear Admiral Mauger, they are working hard at what what does this workforce look like? How do we have the right uh, authorities and structures in place to to engage with the with the maritime industry? The great news is we have those partnerships with the industry already. It's a trust relationship. So we're starting from a really good, uh, good position. But as a you know one of the critical operating components within DHS, we need to really lean into our leadership roles. It pertains to cyber, cyber protection, cybersecurity in uh, in the MTS. Yeah, I know there's a lot of excitement in the segments of the workforce that uh, enjoy doing that cyber cyber work, and I think there's a there's a potential to attract people to the Coast Guard who like to do that kind of work, and that's a that's yeah. Be a actually, good let thing. me t touch a little bit more. Yeah. You're talking about the you know just sort of the workforce element in cyber, right? We've uh, made a lot of uh, progress with regard to our you know cyber warriors. We've stood up. Uh, several CPTs. We've got this yes. CMT that uh, that you know started. Uh, I guess we're in, we're in IOC with them uh, right now. But a lot of opportunity for folks that uh, see themselves working uh, in the cyber realm. We're uh, you know working towards what a workforce pyramid would look like with a uh, with a cyber rating. We've got the first set of uh, cyber graduates graduating from the uh, Coast Guard Academy here in uh, 2022, and we're having some good robust discussions about how do we. How do we get that workforce, uh, you know, into the into the mix and supported, mm -hmm. and ensuring that we're, uh, you know, getting uh, meet, meeting our our leadership requirements in uh, in the cyber realm? It's you know, it wasn't that long ago people are like cyber, what is right. that, right? And yeah. now it's uh, the reality is it's in in everything we do and touch, and we need to look at it that way. I agree. It's a it's it's across all all the work that we do. Cyber is involved and. You know, making sure that our folks are, you know, going from that apprentice journeyman to master level skill sets. And I know there's a lot of people that love doing that work. So that's that's neat. As we, you know, look at our relationship with the Department of Defense, I just left uh, the National Defense University this morning uh, meeting with our with our our joint force counterparts. And, you know, they're, they're really looking to the Coast Guard to to help in that you know, level below conflict where we, you know, work with the other nations. Do you see us, you know, what as the former PAC area commander and now the, the vice commandant of the Coast Guard, how do you see our role, uh, you know, working with the Department of Defense in the future? Do you think we'll have about the same? It might grow, you know, how, how, how does that look? Yeah, so, you know, I'll go back, oh, I don't know, 10 years or so when I was a, uh, uh, you know, mid-grade captain, and I was uh, working for Admiral Allen, who was uh, then the commandant. And he had he had started to pivot the organization uh, towards greater DOD alignment. And when I first got in the front office, I was I was like, "Why are we doing it? I don't understand this." I I look at today, I can't imagine not having done that that pivot. Our 
uh, value proposition to the Department of Defense is uh, has only grown. Their understanding of our unique roles and authorities has only uh, grown. The challenge is, right, sometimes it feels like being hugged by a bear with those guys because they'll, <laughs> they'll take everything you <laughs> offer and then they want ten times, ten times that amount. Yeah. But it is important where we are a military service. You know, in addition to being a law enforcement agency, we are a military service, and we need to be aligned and relevant to our Department of Defense uh, partners. But what's equally interesting to me, right, so we play a role then, an interlocutor role with our own department, Department of Homeland Security, who look over at the DOD guys across the river, and sometimes it's a head-scratching for them. And so we help uh, bridge that gap in ways that I think are uh, particularly uh, important. And I don't see any of that going away because as a nation, as we look at the risk that comes at us, you know, whether it's in the maritime uh, vector or elsewhere, our ability to bring the interagency together in a unity of effort approach is, is that's our competitive advantage. And we need to work in the, you know, in the good times and the sunny days to make sure we've got those relationships in place so that should we be pressed in upon, we've, we've got uh, got those relationships and, and understanding of, uh, of authorities. Oh, yeah. So, Admiral, uh, you know, kind of pivoting, you know, DOD is investing a lot in, in technology, and I know the Coast Guard's also trying to uh, invest in our technology and mobility. And, you know, I know we're, we're recruiting hard, but, you know, w one of the things we can do is if we can put more technology in our folks' hands, uh, maybe we can make our folks a little bit more efficient and, and you know, make them a little faster at what they do. What do you see the future of the tech revolution as we move forward and maybe uh, the C5I community in general? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Master Chief. Thanks. So um, technology is is with us. It is here to stay. To be a modern state-of-the-art Coast Guard, we need to be fielding that technology to our uh, workforce. But it isn't just about, like, that glitzy new iPhone or, you know, pick a specific piece of a technology. The technology enables and creates uh, decision space and information flow that's critical as we, uh, as we operate and, and engage uh, worldwide. I'm really excited about the, the journey that we've been on with regard to technology over the last, you know, five years or so. You know, we've just gone to DOD 365, although it does keep bouncing me out of my <laughs> iPad. That's a... <laughs> That's not an us issue, Me it's too. a DOD issue. Um, yeah. But it, um, you know, just these, we, we're, we're more secure in, um, in the systems that we're using. Our data is more secure. We've increased bandwidth. We're, we're working uh, to ensure that when you, a piece of information or data is created at a front line or back at a command center, that we've got an ability to move it. And then more importantly, and where we're increasingly of focusing, and I think this is exact. It's a natural evolution in technology, and so this is on a one analysis. So a piece of information, you know, a, a data piece, the ones and the zeros. It's interesting, but it's not useful unless you've got the analysis for it, and then that it's provided to the decision maker, the operator, in a time frame that's relevant to whatever that decision is. So sometimes things move fast. You're in the Eastern Pacific and you're chasing to go fast, right? Quick, quick, quick. Other times you've got more uh, more time to uh, consider it. So there is a group here at headquarters uh, looking at data and this is our data data readiness task force. Uh, we, we talk about being a data-driven organization, but we've still got some governance and pivot to do. It is, we have more 
data than we know what to do with. We're not leveraging it. We need to change it so that it you know goes from just being data to information to knowledge and then it that needs to begin to provide sort of the evidence base for us as we make decisions. We talk about being an intel driven uh, organization. This is also about you know an evidence based uh, organization with regard to risk, how we uh, how we resource to risk and how we uh, understand that. So it's you know the device is a needs to be a piece in a broader uh, technological and data strategy that uh, that are, are just going to be essential as we move into the future. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I know that uh, uh, people don't mind doing the data entry if they know that it's, it's going to go to something to help their make their life better. It's uh, it's when you think you're doing data entry for data entry's sake that that's just when it gets a little yeah, monotonous. As a marine inspector, I can't tell you how many hours I lost to do. And first, it was in the old little books. And then, <laughs> then you'd come in and you'd do the missile entry. But we don't have a system that goes back and, you know, either keyword searches are analyzed so that, you know, what the risk profile of, of that, uh, you know, foreign vessel is as it comes sure. in and you know exactly where you need to look for it. So that information or that data is out there. We just need we need to do a much better job at mining it and analyzing it and then using it for decisions. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, you know, we have the personnel readiness task force and now we have the data readiness task force. I couldn't tell you those two things, those two entities, groups, group of people. Uh, very critically important to the quality of life and making the Coast Guard a better place. So uh, speaking of, of people that, that are committed to uh, making the Coast Guard the best possible place to live and work, uh, you know, we, we talk about the, the workforce and we always talk about putting people first. And, and uh, I, I know that, that people are the first and foremost on your mind. You, you're constantly looking at ways to improve the quality of life for our folks. You've you've committed to and and put money to, which is the, that's that's really shows your commitment to improving the, the the fitness, the health, the well-being, the mental health, and just taking care of the workforce. Kind of from a from a recruit, train, you know, operate, and then and then it, you know as people transition. So I know you're fully committed to that. What do you see the future? You know, we have a few initiatives going. Uh, is there anything that you feel? that you want to either talk about in particular with the with the workforce, the health and well-being of the workforce? Yeah, so, you know, before I, I get a couple of things that uh, ongoing initiatives that I think will be, be of interest to the listeners. But before that, I want to say thank you. Uh, for those of you that are, you know, listening to the podcast, for you who are standing in the front lines, for your families and all those that enable you to do that, thank you. It has not been an easy journey the past uh, couple of uh, years. I got one, so one COVID plug here. If you're not boosted, get your booster. It's important. Uh, you know, as I've talked to people, my daughter being one who had a close call with some friends with COVID positives, the people that were two weeks post booster uh, did not uh, did not end up testing positive. It's a critical piece of PPE, and I I encourage you to uh, uh, take it take advantage of that. But you know, it has been a hard, hard couple of years. There's been a lot of uncertainty. There's been uh, a lot of change. There's been a lot of uh, ambiguous and shifting information, and I know that that has taken, taken a toll, uh, toll on your families, toll on on mental health. Uh, you know, suspect we've got people then that are you know engaging in behaviors that are not as healthy as perhaps they had, uh, you know, prior to the to the pandemic uh, kicking kicking off. You know, so. I also want to lead with, right, we've got a lot of resources out there for people to take advantage of. Uh, we've been fielding 
you know, healthcare workers to improve, uh, you know, people's uh, access to, to mental health professionals. We've got, you know, there are, there are resources that you can call and engage. Uh, and I encourage you to do that, right? You should not feel uh, alone or uh, unsupported because uh, we need you. We want you. We need you, uh, you know, ready and engaged and, uh, you know, helping us to, to lead and operate the world's, world's best Coast Guard. Um, I do want to put a plug in for both uh, assist training and safe talk. The, uh, the chaplains uh, run, those, uh, run those programs. I've challenged uh, Chaplain Walcott here in the uh, headquarters building to, uh, to, to get, get some courses uh, running. I told him I committed to helping fill every one of those uh, seats. Uh, it, they're incredible courses. The people that take the courses just say they're, uh, they feel really you know, empowered and able uh, to help somebody who may be in, uh, you know, in, in mental crisis. Each and every one of you is important. We want each and every one of you. And you also have a role in helping, uh, you know, helping your shipmates make sure that they've got the, um, uh, the support that they, they need. Let me stop there, see if you've got okay. anything else. i got yeah. a couple other things, but, uh, yeah. A couple things on the, on the booster. I, wanna, I totally agree. I got my booster. I want to throw a shout-out to Sector Los Angeles, Long Beach. They kind of fit me in last, last second when I was in a – when I was out there doing a unit visit and I got my booster shot, it was aw it was great. I didn't have any side effects at all. Not didn't didn't do anything to me, and uh, I, I, I've successfully avoided, I believe, getting COVID thanks to the the vaccination and the booster. So thanks to Secretary LLB. and I also wanted to footstomp a little bit on the uh, on the assistance in Safe Talk. I, I, uh, uh, I it's it, it's critical. I think uh, you know as we you, unfortunately you and I get the the. The details of a lot of the the times when 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 we didn't know something was going on and things went bad and and I you, you know almost a hundred percent of the time I think if there was a, a little bit better awareness of somebody's challenges that we might have been able to to prevent that so um, I, I I appreciate that and the chat all the chaplains out there and our ox chaplains you know thank you for all the help they're they uh, they're giving us and then we need to come out of this pandemic stronger you know we need to. We need to be strong, and we need to make sure that we're not uh, developing bad habits while we're, I don't know, quarantining, sequestering ourselves, doing whatever, you know, practicing social distancing, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, fitness is, is, I know for you personally, I'm looking at you, and I can see the guns on you. You're, you're, uh, you're definitely uh, committed to fitness and, you know, a, a healthy lifestyle. So if you have some, some ideas or some suggestions for folks, uh, you know, you, you, you seem to be uh, – Embracing that 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 good fitness and and uh, I love it. So, uh, talk 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 to us a little bit about your thoughts on on personal fitness. Yeah. So um, I had a millennial in my life that basically <laughs> said, you know, you need to like do a reset. So for me, one of the positives of COVID was I did do that reset. Right, got me rebalanced. It's easy, particularly as a, a senior flag officer, to let. Uh, you know, work in the professional uh, side of things consume 98% of your bandwidth, and that is not sustainable and it is not healthy. So, you know, at the beginning of COVID, I kind of, I actually gave myself permission, one, to commit to, you know, exercising at least an hour every day. I found an app that I really like. Actually, I started by doing 100 burpees a day. Hmm. Uh, that hurts. It doesn't yeah. matter how fit you are, 100 burpees hurt. Uh, then I found an app that my daughter was using that I've pretty much used every day for the last two years and it has been uh been pretty transformational what i would say to anybody right so 
there's a little bit of a tendency to say, oh, I'll start that tomorrow. Today is the day to start. And even if it's just getting up off your couch and going for a 15-minute walk, right, that's a start. I also learned as part of the, you know, kind of lead into the pandemic, and of course being in San Francisco, we were some of the first ones to go into lockdown. I learned how important it is for me to spend time outdoors every day. There's some days I don't get that much time, but spending some time outdoors in the fresh air is really important for me to stay balanced. I just share that. That's my personal journey. Everybody's got their own um, own ways of resetting and staying balanced and staying fit, but um, it's never too late to start. You know, today's the day to do that, and, um, you know, this is – there's a concept of uh, – uh, you know, kind of present self and future self. And your present self doesn't always have your future self in mind, but I'm telling you, your present self needs to have your future self in mind, which means, you know, spend a little bit of time exercising, make sure you're eating right. And then sleep. Uh, sleep is not a luxury. Uh, we tend to, in this country, like if you're not moving and doing, uh, then we tend to view it as a sign of weakness. And, uh, you know, I'd encourage you to prioritize your, your sleep as well. It's uh, it's it's probably the best thing that you can do for your own uh, mental and uh, and and physical health. And, uh, you know, there's lots of just lots out there on uh, what, uh, you know, what works for people. I just, you know, encourage you to prioritize it and uh, and commit to it. And then I don't know, wait, maybe when we're done here, I'll see if the master chief, I'll, I'm going to challenge him to a burpee contest. And see oh, no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, I give up. You win. Uh, 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 no, I, I, I fully subscribe to that. I, I you know. In order to continue to do your job well, you have to take care of yourself. You know, you know, being, uh, you know, and, and I love what you said there in terms of you need to think ahead. As a guy who's going into retirement here in a, in a few months, you know, I, I'm, I'd like to live a long time and collect a lot of retirement. It costs checks the Coast Guard a lot of money in retirement. You got to live a I, long time to do that. I, that's what <laughs> I. That's my goal. So I, you know, I, I think, you know. Trying to get some exercise, trying to stay fit, and then it, and and if you're if you're having trouble doing it on your own, you you said your daughter helped you. I know you have some other folks that you know you, you, uh, you, you exercise with you and 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 help keep you motivated. Having somebody, having a team, or having a couple people around you, you know, to to to, to push you to 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 kind of when you don't feel like it, they make you feel like it. That type of thing. I think that's important too. Uh, having your ship, having a good shipmate out there. Uh, is critical. Um, so, you know, Admiral, I, I think we're in a good spot, you know, despite the challenges of COVID and despite the frustration that we've had about not being able to do, not being able to get, you know, you know, execute the, the training and the orders, and we've had to make some tough decisions and all that kind of stuff. I think we're in a good spot. Uh, I know that congressionally, you know, we, we, we if everything, you know, we're waiting on this continuing resolution, hopefully we don't have another continuing resolution, hopefully we have a budget, but we're looking pretty good. I mean, we, I would tell you that not, to, not just the American people appreciate where the Coast Guard is, but, you know, we've had good success talking to our elected leaders. I know you spend a lot of time with our elected leaders expressing the needs for, you know, uh, you know, our readiness hole and our infrastructure. And can you talk about, you know, what you're seeing for the future in terms of us having the money? just the money yeah. to do get after some of these challenges yeah so you know the readiness narrative that uh you know the current commandant has really you know put us on a path with it is clearly uh resonating and then is translating in uh you know money resourcing we um as an organization we enjoy wide bipartisan support many many agencies cannot say that and we can and and uh you know that gets reflected 
back to us in resourcing and uh, and resourcing support. And I should add that um, you know the current leadership in the Department of Homeland Security, both the Secretary and Deputy Secretary, I have never seen two uh, people bigger fans and supporters of us as an agency. They lean on us uh, all the time, like uh, the Operation Allies Welcome, the department uh, realized that hey, they, they needed some leadership and support, and who did they lean on? They leaned on the Coast Guard, and that's a really positive uh, thing. You know, every, every budget year is dynamic. You know, every year we have to make uh, hard choices and decisions with regard to how we prioritize those, uh, those resources. Uh, we, are, we are on, you know, where we started this conversation, we're on the biggest acquisition uh, way ahead since World War II as an organization. And so as we we're fielding national security cutters, waterway commerce cutters, polar security cutters, offshore patrol cutter, um, lots and lots uh, coming at us, and we are poised to uh, to execute and and will. And uh, I gotta say, I'm nothing but optimistic about the future when I look at it. I mean, we will we'll go into the trenches on the uh, on the budget conversations, but uh, I'm I see a lot of goodness out there coming at us. In fact, it uh, I worry uh, sometimes. It's like, all right, do we actually have all of the capacity? Right, the acquisition professionals and contracting professionals to make sure that we can execute on that money as it comes. But uh, you know, I gotta tell any of the you know young members out there, right, there's nothing but goodness coming at us. Oh. And uh, it is uh, it is a really exciting time to be in the Coast Guard. I tell you, the workforce is it is growing. We're, uh, we're not just growing our assets, but we're growing our maintainer, the, the folks that maintain those assets, the, the crews to run them. And you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I, I, I tell you, I wish I was kinda you know where my son is today because I think there's a lot of really neat opportunities ahead. I agree with you, Secretary Mayorkas and, and, and Deputy Secretary Tien, two folks that just really appreciate what the Coast Guard does. All everybody that's ever gone TAD to support a DHS mission just know that 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 is so well appreciated by the department. It's not just the Coast Guard, Roger. Enough, they we are one DHS. We are a team. We work together with all the components and. You know, I, I tell you, Emma, I really appreciate your leadership, you know, up there, you know, advocating for the Coast Guard and the department. Because the way the budget works is, you know, the department puts it o puts the budget over, and they help us uh, reinforce our requests. So, you know, having that advocacy from the department is critical. And, uh, and Emma, I want to thank you for your help on and on that. The, you know, the, the work, the deck plate workforce really appreciates having the tools and the and the the, the, uh, the things that they need to get the work for, to get the work done. And then as we grow, uh, what do you see if you had to say, you know, um, a couple things that the Coast Guard itself needs to be thinking about, say, in the next five years? I know I'll just throw one thing out there. You know, we got to get the people. We need the we need the people. And then we've already talked about the the, the asset, you know, the, the 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 surface assets, the aviation assets, and then you know, the tools that we need to do our marine safety work, you know, all that stuff. What do you see, like, in the next five years, what do you think the Coast Guard needs to kind of focus on Yeah, so to be successful? Well, we don't, we don't operate ships and aircraft and small boats without people. And, uh, you know, the Coast Guard starts and stops with the, the quality and caliber of, uh, of the workforce. And so, you know, uh, Admiral Schultz has, has taken us down a great path to begin addressing recruiting retention uh, you know diversity and inclusion equity uh, we, we need to continue to have a sense of urgency and drive forward on some of the progress we've made because frankly we, we have not gone 
uh, traveled far enough yet on that. The Coast Guard of the future really should reflect the public that we, we serve. So a talent management, workforce management system that is responsive to the current generations that we are recruiting into the service is critical. Our workforce system right now is it's a post-World War II, you know, sort of rooted structure that, you know, assumed there was a single male breadwinner and, you know, wife stayed home with two kids and there was no movement. That is not our workforce. We need to have a talent management system that is responsive to our workforce that allows allows stability when people need stability, uh, an acceleration forward if uh, if needed. There's so there is work to be done there around uh, challenging and changing some of our fundamental assumptions. For example, we're an upper out organization. This is really really true on the officer side. It's it's somewhat true on the enlisted side. It's not quite as draconian a system, but. Uh, we, that's the most expensive way to, to build workforce is to basically at each promotion point, we kick people out of the lifeboat. Well, it's like, why? So, so there's work to be done there. And then the other thing I'd add, you know, we've been on a journey to knock down uh, barriers, particularly barriers for minorities to successfully serve. And we've done that in several cases. Some of the tattoo policy changes are examples of that. I think there's more, more work still to do uh, there to ensure that you know, I define a barrier as something that has no bearing on your ability to successfully serve and contribute to the uh, to the organization. Like if you have a tattoo behind your ear, that has no bearing on your ability to honorably and successfully serve. That's a simple example. There's others, and we need to we need to get after that. Y you know, and I applaud Coast Guard senior leadership for you know asking the questions, doing the research, you know, committing the money to find out what what those barriers are because i can tell you i don't know what they are what was a barrier to somebody else may not have been a barrier to me and so we have you know senior leadership uh has really committed to understanding the the workforce challenges so everybody out there listening to the podcast i can tell you that hey there we care about what's on your mind we want to know what you think if you have a better idea if you have ideas we're always in you know please pass those up we want everybody's input we know it takes every you know there's a the, the the best ideas come from the field and we're excited about those well admiral i i'll uh, see if you got anything else you want to you want to wrap up with but i i can't thank you enough for you spending the time with us today to talk to the workforce to you know kind of tell them what your vision is and what you see uh that that the coast guard needs to be looking at uh in the next few years and it's a, it's a very optimistic very very positive picture that we have going forward and I'm confident that, uh, you know, we, we're, like you said, we're on the path to, to, to get where we need to go and to serve our nation. And I think at the end of the day, that's what we all joined to do is to provide the best Coast Guard service to our nation. And I'm I'm super thankful for your leadership. Thanks, Master Chief. Really appreciate you inviting me to uh, to do this. It's been a great uh, great conversation. I am super excited about the uh, the future of the organization and uh, and the workforce. You know, back to those kids, right? That are that are in the service. I not just uh, my daughter who's in, but to to the entirety of the workforce. When I come to work every day, I ask myself, what have I done to to make sure that that you, particularly those of you at the front lines, you know, have the resources you need, the tools you need, the policy, the training that you need to succeed. That's my commitment to you and that you are in an environment where you feel safe and valued and you have a voice and an ability to, uh, to contribute. 
this is your Coast Guard, not my Coast Guard, not Master Chief Van Rain's Coast Guard, right? It is your Coast Guard. We uh, we each embody what it means to 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 serve and and create uh, the culture of just this in, incredible world class uh, Coast Guard. I'm uh, I said I'm super excited about the future. I'm really proud of uh, of each and every one of you and what you what you do. Uh, it makes it, uh, yeah, it makes it really fun to come to come to work and help uh, make sure that we're getting those resources uh, to you so that you can continue to uh, to conduct frontline operations. But again, thanks, Master Chief Vander. Thank you, really Admiral. Thank it. you. That's awesome. Thanks to our guest host, Senior Chief Kelly, and we're using today. We're using Master Chief Mike Ellis's. Uh, the Bosa Mate Rainforest Master Chief's uh, podcast gear. Uh, yeah. Special shout out to Mike for providing nice. the gear. All right. Thanks. Semper Paratus, everybody. All right.